I invite you to open a Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. You can pull that up on the device that's in your pocket or purse. Or if you uh, grabbed one of the bulletins, our orders of, of worship, it's printed right in the, uh, in the center of that program, the portion of 1 Corinthians 15 that I'll read this morning. This spring as a church, we've been looking at the distinct claims of Christianity, the ways in which the beliefs and behaviors of Christians in the first centuries after the ministry of Jesus set Christians apart. Now, more significant than any of the behaviors you would see in a Christian is this central claim, this core Christian belief that we've repeated this morning, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This is the claim upon which all of Christianity turns. This is the central truth that we announce, not just on Resurrection Sunday, but on every Sunday in which we celebrate the resurrection. And yet, even in the the earliest days of the church gathering after the ministry of Jesus, questions arose. It, it, It seems clear that even in the Corinthian church, among Christians, there were some that thought, I'm just not sure. I mean, stop and think about it. That sounds kind of crazy, right? That he was dead and he's not dead? Like, there's no one else for whom we would make that kind of claim. Because it's not merely a claim that, well, well, we thought he was dead. It's that he actually was dead and he's been raised from the dead. It's not even that that he's been resuscitated, because we've seen those kind of miracles before. It's that he has been resurrected. The, the kingdom of God now here. And so even the church wrestled with this claim that maybe there is no resurrection of the dead. But I want you to hear the Apostle Paul's response. The response of the Christian church to that idea. So listen as I read. This is 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to begin reading at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of God given for us, his church. Let me pray. Father, I ask that you would give us clarity as we wrestle with this claim, as we wrestle with your word, for those that have joined us at the invitation of a friend or family member and yet come with doubts and questions. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself as you are, the God of truth. That in your word, we would find it not merely to be an an ancient retelling, but a living and active word, empowered by your spirit, 
who is, who is here in our midst. Lord, for those of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ as our own, who rest upon him alone for salvation, Lord, give us joy and confidence on this resurrection morning. Let the hope which is coming, the hope of the future return of our Savior, give us hope right now in the present, because we've seen what you have done in the past. Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of the words we use are probably close to meaningless. Our words can be trivial, insignificant. Sometimes we talk without really thinking, and if we'd stopped and thought about it, then we'd realize, oh, well, there wasn't much to what I just said. Sometimes our words feel meaningless because we talk about things that are insignificant. Or maybe we talk about things we don't really understand much. I mean, you can imagine a, a student who, who, facing a test, realizes, I have no idea what the answer is. But to leave it blank guarantees that you're going to get no credit, so you just start spewing, just trying to fill the answer. If you don't know the answer, at least answer it with a little bit of gusto. And, and I'm not merely talking about the, the younger students in our midst. I actually think the propensity of frivolity increases proportionally to the advanced achievement of the scholar. See? The more you study, then the more you can just say things that say almost nothing at all. Sometimes our words feel meaningless because we're just giving passing details on social media about things that, well, did it really matter what I had for dinner last night? It's just the mundane, the ordinary. Or sometimes words are nearly meaningless because somebody is giving you their hot take on, an, on a topic that five minutes ago they had never even heard of, but suddenly now, with that length of reflection, they are now an expert. Or maybe we've found ourselves in those places. Sometimes our words border on triviality because the topic doesn't matter all that much. Sometimes our statements are insignificant because we don't really know what's going on. Sometimes we peddle in the frivolous because we don't really care all that much to find the truth. But if the issue is important enough, if we want to uncover truth, then we have to be more careful with our words. And yet even with this central claim of the Christian faith, the Apostle Paul warns the Corinthian church that they have been careless in the way that they have spoken. See, they're fine, some of them it seems, with claiming that Jesus was raised from the dead, but that's it. There is no general resurrection. There is, and if you, if you have a Bible in front of you, you can see the verses which came before the ones I read. That Paul, in verses 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So there's a problem in this church, in early Christianity, of saying, well, there is no resurrection of the dead. And Paul's making the argument, well, if there's no resurrection for people in general, then there can be no resurrection for the person, Jesus, in particular. And, and the reason, and we don't, we don't have the, the full uh, context of what Paul is arguing about. We, we don't have the letters or sermons of the church in Corinth. We only have the apostles' response. Yet we understand enough of the ancient context 
to know where they could have come up with this kind of idea, that there can be no resurrection. Because some ancient worldviews would claim that there is no afterlife at all. You live, you die, and you're done. And so there can't be anything after death. There is no resurrection by definition. You are just done. You cease to exist. Or some in the ancient world would have, would have thought of the, the resurrection in, in spiritual terms. That, that nothing physically happens. Your body is buried and decays, but that there is sort of a spiritual sense in which you could, you could live on as a disembodied uh, spirit, a, a reminder of, of the new beginnings, but not a historical reality. Or maybe that there then there is built into that this idea of a spiritual existence which continues beyond this life, but no physical existence. Because some in the ancient world would have said that, that what you really need is to escape from the physical. You're sort of trapped in this evil world and you need to get out of it. And so there is, there is no resurrection possible. Now, even though those reflect ancient worldviews, those are the kinds of things people still believe today. They might not give it an ancient title, but the idea that, well, you just live and die and you're done. Therefore, there can be no resurrection. That's a view that is actually more prominent today than it would have been in the ancient world. The idea that, that what you need is just a spiritual reinvigoration, some sort of emotional connection to something that, that inspires you. You don't need a historical reality of a resurrection. You just need hope that, that something new could happen. Like if your job is bad, then you just need some hope that you could get a new job. If your relationships are bad, then you just need some sort of hope that, that things could get better. You don't need a, a resurrection for that. You just need an inspiration. What's the way many today might think? Or the idea that, that you just need to escape from life, from this world, and that there is no significance to the claims of Christianity. Now, the Apostle Paul, in considering this argument... He, he forces the Corinthians to wrestle with the implications. It's as if he's saying, okay, if it's true that there is no resurrection, then let's think about what that means for us. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, is just look at the implications of the idea that there is no resurrection from the dead. The, the idea that, that Jesus himself hasn't been raised from the dead. Look at Paul's argument in verse 14. Again, we're in 1 Corinthians 15, now verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then everything you've heard a Christian ever say about Christianity is hollow, empty, void. It's, it, the, the language there of, of being in vain, it means it's without substance, it's without base, basis, it's useless, it's powerless. It's impotent. Because the resurrection is the linchpin of Christianity. You pull that pin and the wheels come off. You crash and there's nothing left. There is nothing of significance without the resurrection. Now perhaps you've known Christians and you've been offended by their, their emphasis on, on ethical claims, on the moral responsibility of, of Christians. Because you see that, that the Christian worldview, the, the way the Bible speaks, comes in conflict 
when we talk about issues of sexual behavior or gender identity, and, you, and you've been offended by the outdated and outmoded claims of Christianity. Now, the first question we should ask is not, do I like this? That's generally the question we normally ask when we confront something. Do, do I like it? Or, or we, might be, we might be a little smarter than that. We might sort of put a finger in the air and say, well, do the people around me like it? But that's not the first question we should be asking. We, the first question we should ask when confronting Christianity is this. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? If the answer is no, then everything else that comes after it doesn't matter. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then his ethical commands are empty and trivial. And so if you feel a resistance to Christianity because of what you feel like it feels outdated or, 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 or old-fashioned, then don't wrestle with the ethical implications. I mean, those, that's a conversation we could have, but it comes after this conversation. What is actually true about the central claim that Christians make? Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Because if the answer is no, you can ignore Jesus if he's dead. Like, what does it matter what he said or thought? If he's dead, then ignore what he's said. But if the answer is yes, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, then that would, of course, put you in a position where you'd have to stop and listen to what he said. Because all of the claims that he's made to be the Lord of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one with power now and forever, would now have bearing on your life, and you wouldn't be allowed to go through life and just say, well, you know, kind of I don't feel like it. You would have to actually stop and say, well, what is true? Because the resurrection is the central claim of the church from the very beginning. Now, Paul, he, he continues in verse 15, wrestling with this question, if, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then what would that mean for us? In verse 15, it would, we would say it would mean we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Do You see, not only are, are the words we speak on our own in vain, empty, meaningless, void, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we've actually made God himself out to be a liar because we've drawn him into the conversation. We've said, but it was on his authority. It's because of what he said. Well, if Jesus isn't raised, then everything that God has promised would have been a lie. Paul continues, verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. It's the, the denial here that if, again, back to the central claim, then, then if, Christ has, if, if there is no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised. And, and if you don't believe this, then you're not really a Christian. Now, often at Christmas and Easter, newspapers and magazines will run Christian-themed stories or interviews. Uh, best-selling author Christopher Hitchens was interviewed a couple of years before his death by the Portland Monthly. Hitchens was most famous as a best-selling author, but, but most famous for his, his urgent and fervent commitment to atheism, one that he reaffirmed even in the final days and months of his life. Now, he was interviewed by a, a Portland minister who considered the resurrection to be a metaphorical idea. The interviewer explained, when, when I preach about Easter and the resurrection, it's in a metaphorical sense. 
It's the idea that, that one can go from a death in this life, in the sense of being dead to the world and dead to other people, and be resurrected to new life. Can you, do you hear what that preacher is trying to claim? There is no actual resurrection. It's just an idea. It's an inspirational, motivational idea. Now, Hitchens, the atheist, responds in this interview. He says, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was Christ and Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead, and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're not in any meaningful sense a Christian. Okay, now this is perhaps one of those rare moments in which I would agree with the atheist in an argument with a so-called Christian preacher. I agree that you cannot be a Christian if you deny the physical, bodily, historical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And and actually, Hitchens' summary of Christianity there was, was pretty fair. That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that he rose again from the dead. By his sacrifice, our sins are forgiven. That is the central truth of Christianity. Now, I would want to push you beyond where Hitchens was comfortable stopping, because I would want to put you not only to understand it cognitively, but to actually claim it for yourself. See, but Paul is saying, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if you don't believe this truth, then then clinging on to some historic label of Christianity or some denominational label of a church that you grew up in or some inspirational idea, it's not enough. It won't help you at all. Why? If there is no resurrection, look at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Your faith, this, I mean, this is really just repeating what we saw in verse verse 14, that your faith is in vain. But, but here it's even more the idea that, that with an emphasis on the effects, that like faith now is pointless, fruitless. It accomplishes nothing. Because you would still bear the weight for all that you have done wrong. You would still be required to pay the full price for your sins, for your wrongdoing, for your selfishness, for your arrogance. The blame would still fall on you. Because the gospel, the good news of what the Bible announces to us, the gospel tells us that Jesus died to pay the full penalty for our sins. But if he's dead, if on the cross he died and that was it, then he was a liar. Because he said he would, ra- he would be raised again on the third day. If he's still dead, then everything else that he said would be empty and meaningless and, and foolish. They would be just empty words with no power, with no impact on our lives. If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then there is no hope for you. There's no hope for anyone who dies. Look at verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now Paul's just using the, the kind of language that would have been common to have fallen asleep as a, as a polite way of saying that someone died. But he means that if you have fallen asleep, if you have died, then you will never be woken up again. There is no hope for anyone who has died. Even those who died in Christ, with a faith in Christ, with a confidence in Christ, would have died in a foolish Savior, 
would have died clinging to a lie without any hope. So then, verse 19, you and I, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If you're clinging on to Christianity as an inspirational idea, then you should be pitied. Because you're clinging to a lie. You're clinging to to a fairy tale. You're clinging to a fable. You're clinging to an idea that tomorrow might not have any, any significance or value for you. See, if you have lost your future hope, if you have no hope for what is coming at death, then you should have no hope now. You have no hope that what God has done in the past did anything to deal with your sins. You have no hope for those who have already died. You have no hope for the future. And so if you have hope right now, you're just deluding yourself. You should be pitied. Without the resurrection, Christianity is meaningless. Without the resurrection, faith is foolish. Without the resurrection, you are lost in your sins. Without the resurrection, hope is destroyed. And yet, look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The lies that you've heard, the foolish ideas that you've heard, the the whisperings that you may have heard that there is no resurrection, they are not true. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Do you see what Paul is saying? This is what is true. it's, It's an interjection into this argument to say, but right here, this is the truth. I don't care what you think is true. This is reality. I don't care the the foolish ideas that you brought with you before. This is what is really true. Your denial of it doesn't change the reality of it. Here is the truth. Here is reality. Here is hope. You may make claims about Jesus, but there is a historical truth. You may have preferences about how you would want this to be, but God's actions overpower your frailty and foolishness. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. See, this is your hope. This is the central claim to which we as Christians cling. Not that we are good enough. Not that we could clean ourselves up. Not that we have climbed our way out of our mess. But that God himself came down to earth. That Jesus the Savior died in the place of sinners. And that God, on the third day, raised him from the dead. See, this is your hope, that God himself has taken decisive action. That he has defeated death. That he has, as verse 20 tells us, given us the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That that language of of first fruits is a biblical metaphor of of bringing the, 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 the opening of the harvest. I mean, we can think of it, it's the same way we would talk today, of like a down payment. You make a down payment... And it's the guarantee, the promise that you're going to make the rest of the payment. Jesus, in his resurrection, he didn't just come back from the dead. He was raised to new life. He was raised into the the kingdom of God. He was raised imperishable, immortal, to live forever in a bodily resurrected uh, existence. See, Jesus is the guarantee 
the down payment, the first fruits that guarantees the rest of the payment. He guarantees the rest of the harvest so that everyone who dies with faith in Christ can await the coming resurrection of the dead. Jesus, one man, the Son of God, raised from the dead, guarantees that all who put their trust in him will also be raised. See, this is our hope. This is the truth that should lay claim to our lives, that should force us to wrestle with this question. And so if you came in here today doubting this truth, then hear with clarity what Christians are claiming, that Jesus, the Son of God, died for sinners. He has been raised from the dead. And this is a truth a claim that you must wrestle with. Because to deny it means that you are denying what God has actually done. You could say, yeah, but I, you know, it just doesn't feel right to me. That doesn't change that it happened. You can shrug off and say, well, you know, I don't want Jesus to be Lord of my life. But one day you will be forced to acknowledge his power and authority. But if you come to him now, if you are found in Christ if you put your trust in Christ, if you believe in Christ, if you put your hope in Christ, then you will find now the hope and forgiveness of sins. Will you find your hope in Jesus Christ today? Normally, social media isn't a place that I can turn to for spiritual comfort. But two weeks ago, a simple picture of faith was shared by a mother in California as she gave the details of her own mother's death. Susan Baker described that she couldn't reach her 83-year-old mother by phone two Mondays ago. So she drove over to check on her. Susan writes, I found her kneeling by her bed motionless. She went to be with Jesus today. She had marked this in her Bible yesterday. Susan includes a picture of her mother from a few days before smiling, and it includes a picture of the Bible that was laid open before her mother at her death. Open to 1 Corinthians 15. In a handwritten note, she had written down the words of verse 26, which come just past what we read. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's written in the, the shaky hand of a woman near the very end of her life, but not shaken in her confidence. Susan says, actually, her mom had asked one of the grandsons just a couple days before to pull down the Bible concordance to look up where this passage would be found. And she said, I'm pretty sure my mom knew exactly where it was. She was doing this to help my son wrestle with this truth. And Susan's mom had circled the first word of verse 20. She had underlined the rest of the verse. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. See, and this is the, the posture with which each one of us can face death. Maybe not with the physical posture of, of being on our knees with a Bible opened before us, but spiritually, bowing ourselves to the lordship, the authority of Christ, with the truth of 1 Corinthians 15 confidently before us, with the assurance that Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's the core claim of every Christian. It's the central truth in history. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. 
It's the hope that allows you to face death with confidence. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. It can give you joy and comfort and peace right now. It's a claim that presses upon us today. Do you believe? If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Father in heaven, we give you praise for the power of the gospel announced to us in your word. Lord, where we feel unsettled, where we feel the the lack of comfort this morning, Lord, I pray that we would find comfort not in ourselves, not in our, our own goodness or our own strength. We would find comfort and hope only in you. Lord, for those who have listened or are listening online, without a faith in Jesus, I pray that you would not let them find a peace and comfort in the false lies of this world, but that they would find hope in Jesus Christ, our Savior alone. Father in heaven, we are a people desperate for truth. Lord, we are people that need your hope. And Father, we thank you for this good news, that Jesus Christ, our Savior, has been raised from the dead. We come rejoicing in his name. We declare him to be the Lord, the one raised with your power. Amen.